DJ Mig Centillion has been a longtime friend of mine. He has been spinning as a DJ for over a decade at this point, while still retaining the same simple, honest, and open charm that led him to become my friend. In this episode of the podcast, he talks about the climb to becoming a DJ, the struggles that come with that life, and the insights he's taken that apply both within and outside that industry. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, good evening, Migs. How you doing? All good, Rami. How are you? <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on my podcast. So, uh, before we jump into like the thick of things and everything we're going to be talking about today, do you mind introducing yourself a bit to the listeners? Sure thing. So, what's up, everyone? My name is Migs Centillion. I'm a DJ for Magic at 9.9, music director as well. Nightlife DJ, club DJ, also type 1 diabetic, so if that counts as anything later on. And, uh, hey, good evening, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, actually, I, I feel like I have to bring a bit of my A-game because this is something that you're probably super used to doing, like uh, this podcast slash radio show setup. So I'm hyper-conscious right now, so I hope you'll you'll help carry me through. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Migs, you mentioned uh, a bit about, like, your uh, life as a DJ. And so, uh, basically, my first question is, because we've known each other a while, so, so I, just for the listeners, I've known Migs since... Uh, freshman year of college, essentially. So I've seen him kind of grow throughout this career of his as a DJ. But I wanted to ask you specifically, uh, you started working pretty young. Uh, what prompted you to jump into the, well, what was the junior jock program and then eventually become a full-time DJ? Well, okay. The funny thing is, to become a full-time DJ, I, that was never part of my game plan, ever. Like, I like listening to music. I like uh, hearing songs on the radio. I like the I like the people who are on the radio. And that's about it. That's uh that's that's the only, that's the only connection I had to to being on radio. So what prompted me to become a, a DJ was actually my mom because I remember it. This is summer of 2007, uh, between second and third year high school, and I was on the way home with my mom from piano lessons, and we were listening to Magic, and on the radio we heard an ad for the Junior Jock program. They're holding auditions. That very same day. So I had been hearing this for months at this time, but like I hadn't, I, I never gave it a second thought. I was like, nah, that's not for me. I'm not, that's not going to be something I'm going to be doing anyway. <laughs> and then my mom was like, you know, you should try out. You're not doing anything anyway today. I'm like, oh, mom, but uh, you know, you know, it's, you're 15. You want to go home and do nothing. And she just threatened me with cutting off my allowance. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'll do this. So fast forward to that night, well, that afternoon, I go to the station. And there's this long, long line, like uh, 200 people are ahead of me who, are, who signed up to like join the junior jock program. I was like, oh, shucks. Okay, this gonna, I'm going to be forever. So I get there, find out you need a resume. So literally, I sign up, go home, make a resume, eat dinner, come back. I'm still not called for the next three hours. So I'm like, you know what? Dang, I feel bad for everyone else who's here for like the last how many hours. But anyway, so I get there and... Lo and behold, I get in. So I really didn't know what to do with that kind of information because I had no intention of actually becoming a, a radio DJ. Actually, what I wanted to do at that time is want to become an architect, which is mm. so doing now. But uh, at the same time, you know, my passion for for mixing music that started also at like a few years before. I liked hearing songs strung seamlessly back to back to back. So um, that one though, like had. I had no idea where to go, where where to go with that. I had no idea like 
if I was going to go really push for the club DJing thing, because I, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do anything like associated in my 15-year-old brain with the nightlife. So eventually, things didn't pan out. So yeah, it's basically my mom who pushed me to do it. And, you know, 15 years later, here I am. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this reminds me a little bit about this uh, book I read. It's called uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And in it, he has this uh, statement where he talks about uh, how... Uh, the different parenting styles, and there was this one particularly controversial claim, where mm. uh, it's it's actually that there's only really two parenting styles. There's the one used by poor people, and then there's the one used by affluent people. So you can tell okay. automatically how that would be like a very controversial statement. And, and the way that Malcolm Gladwell describes the action of or the the demeanor of rich people when they're raising their children is this habit of concerted cultivation where they constantly push their children towards uh, these opportunities that put them into uncomfortable social situations that force them to adapt. And so that's really interesting that, uh, you know, like even I just read the book like a few weeks ago and then like I see it come up again in this context. So uh, how how big do you think it was? Like, like how large of a role did your personal circumstances and your family background play in you capturing this opportunity for yourself? Probably a lot because had this been, had I been, I don't know, had I been like from a different uh, culture, from a different socioeconomic class, I probably wouldn't have been goaded into joining because, you know, it's, it's media. The rise and fall of personalities on media, it's, they're pretty fast. Like you can, you can, you can soar really high and fall and fall far the next day. So you can be the most talked about name one day and immediately forgotten in the future. But like, so we don't know if there's like any long-term capability in sustaining yourself when it comes to like radio or television or whatnot. But my mom said, my my, my mom came from media. So she, she knows, I guess she knows a little bit more. Well, she knew a little bit more about it than I did. So I guess also because she wanted me to just get out of the house and do something. I mean, the diabetes was one thing also because like dude I was a lazy ass kid like I didn't I didn't want to do anything I was chubby <laughs> so uh, she just wanted to be active you know like every summer instead of just laying around in bed uh wasting two months away every year so I'm guessing like you know and you know I think she read some books also like some similar circumstances she read some books that encouraged her to like encourage me to do things so I guess it panned out had it been in a, from a different like class background or a different cultural background, I probably would have gotten a, you know what? You can work for the family business. You know, you can just work for us. Let's keep our business strong and going. But, you know, like my, my parents were always like, you know what? If this, this, this isn't for you, just make sure you can get a job that can sustain you in the future and try to get a job that uh, helps you, like that helps you fulfill your, what your soul feels like you should be fulfilling in life, you know, any other. So like, had I been from a different, again, a different socioeconomic background, I would have probably been, it would have probably, probably been like, you know what? Just find work. Mm. Just go get work. And that's mm. it. Right. Mm. But, uh, so we've talked a bit about like how you began. So I'm wondering specifically, like, as to spinning uh, at night, because that's what people really visualize when they think about DJs. Like, how? What was? What was the first parties that you would spin at? What was the first? And you have to correct me if any of my nomenclature or like any words I use are wrong, huh? 
like what was your first experience yeah my first one i think oh shucks um I'm trying to remember which one because i know i did a bunch of college ones i think my first one was for an org uh one of which org was that was it the biology org box that was my very, that was my very first one and the thing is i didn't even have my own equipment i had to borrow it from a friend and what i did was i brought my laptop i brought a cable and then the equipment I had to borrow from someone, right? So I had no idea what I was doing. I was nervous. I was scared. Perched on the balcony, I could see the whole dance floor. And I was just like, you know what? Let's try this. Let's just play the songs that make me dance. Well, they're all top 40 songs anyway, so people probably know them. And let's see if it works. And it did. And man, I swear, that feeling, that feeling of euphoria in loving what you're doing at the moment and seeing other people loving what you're doing as well, there's no way, there's no way you can replace that. It's, um, it's this feeling of pure bliss and, you know, being in the zone and just doing what you're doing out of pure passion and without having to think about what you're doing. It's, it's something else. And that's the very first time. So that, that would you say, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, so is that, is that what you would say got you hooked on the whole experience of being a DJ? Like, uh, you know, that, that experience of making people feel these things and you wanted to recreate that experience every time you spun? Pretty much, yeah. So that's why every, every chance it got for, like, after, after that org party, like, if someone was holding an org party, I'd be like, you need a DJ? I'd do it for free because I just liked it. I, I enjoyed it. And um, again, I had no idea that this would become a career in the future. So I was just taking every opportunity I got because I wanted to keep that feeling going. And I never knew that, like, because in my head after graduation, the future was unwritten. So I had no idea if I was going to continue doing this or if my circumstances would allow me to keep doing this. So I just tried to do it as often as I could. It's because I liked it. Mm. So I just want to latch on to one very quick thing that you uh, mentioned, uh, but you know you had no personal opposition to it, which was doing gigs for free. So uh, like even you know this, and this is how pervasive this concept exists across disciplines. Like even me, for example, as a lawyer, sometimes people ask me for advice, and I'm generally conflicted as to whether or not to charge for my advice because like yeah. I don't feel like I'm old enough in the profession to be able to say like you know what that was worth 750 pesos for 30 minutes you know what i mean yeah like and and i see that part of or those little bits of advice i give to people who feel close enough to ask me the informal consultation uh uh, as kind of a practice for me to learn to grow and so there's that inherent tension in my own practice as to how much and when to charge uh for you as a dj right like you know now that DJing is a lucrative profession. You know now that it's worth money, that uh, it's not worth it to go to these exotic locations if you're not paid well. So looking back on yourself uh, on those younger years, do you feel bad about not having charge? Do you feel you should have? Where do you land on that kind of issue? Absolutely not, man. I don't feel bad at it at all because... For me, okay, un, okay, your circumstance is different because you went to law you, you went to law school, man. That's a lot of money, a lot of investment already. I w- when I started out, I had nothing. I said like, literally, all I had were homemade mixes. I didn't even have the equi- dude. I didn't even have equipment. I invested nothing in this. <laughs> so, um, when I when I uh, when I did those parties for free, I saw that as 
basically my version of law school or med school if you're going to go for other professions like it was me teaching myself though the nuances of crowd reading the nuances of catering to your audience and the art as well of mixing in general so uh, i already learned how to mix at home so that's that's at least one thing down but what i didn't have was crowd reading because of course if you're home like and you're going to dj who are you catering to your bed and your bed's not going to go boo that sucks or yo that was diet but outside in the field you have people who will either enjoy what you're playing not like what you're playing and to give you feedback get requests throw you curveballs and whatnot to test what you know so i have no i have no qualms with like having played all those gigs for free or playing like some of my early gigs for a very small talent fee because the way i saw it those were just little investments in what would amount to a job and the thing is like without the feedback from those early gigs i don't think i would have been at the same level as i was when i started professionally because i wouldn't have known like all these other nuances about the nightlife about crowds about audiences and anything like that like i know some people who came into the industry a few years after me they didn't really dj or anything back when they were in school they came in pretty fresh and they struggled with like knowing their audience they they didn't know what to play like when you're when they were uh, starting out like with a set it's always a bit too hard or maybe a bit too obscure for the audience so like, yeah like all of this i got from my college days my free gig days and of course from magic because i was exposed to a lot of top 40 music already so yeah it's a lot of combination a lot of uh, factors combining themselves into this very early early mix until the end <laughs> back in the day mm. well can i just ask though like what was the process like for and you don't have to give like a concrete answer uh for this because i really don't expect one whenever i ask this question i always get not naman unsatisfying answers but yeah. let's say contemplative uh, <laughs> uh what was the process like for discovering how much this talent you had was worth and yeah like how did you finding that price to be able to charge Hmm. Actually, yeah, there's there's no concrete answer for that one. <laughs> like looking back at it, there's really none. But um, no, it's uh, I guess because I started getting paid gigs already back in college. Like third third year, I think I had I already had like a few paid ones outside. Just seeing the amount like one could earn for doing like a two hour set. That's two hours. I think shocks. How much I get paid for that? Like I, th- I think it was a thousand, and that's actually like small for a dj's talent fee but for mm-hmm. me being a college student i was like yo that's a whole week's worth of allowance i'm good with this and or one night of beer with rami uh. exactly <laughs> damn it <laughs> <laughs> and plot twist all you order a sending like that's how many beers you consume <laughs> <laughs> but like um yeah dude like uh imagine so you get paid this amount and I like from feedback also from other people like who who are also getting paid gigs another a few other students I knew who were also DJs even in their early gigs they were like they were getting paid below what the industry standard is now but this amount compared to like what you get paid for a 9-to-5 job in most industries it's insane and plus 
because uh because this is not a fixed source of income like you don't get this every night it's it isn't really it it, it isn't taxed in the same tax bracket as well as um as like a nine to five salary based job mm-hmm. so you get to take home a lot more than if you had been working as a as a regular like desk job worker so seeing the worth though that's uh that was just the basis of it you know seeing that you can actually earn a lot from being a dj for what amounts of very small amounts of work but seeing how much i was worth was a very odd process because i don't want to overcharge i never want to overcharge I never it's it's a Tia factor, man. Like I don't want to be like, you know, I'm I'm worth this much. Ha 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 ha. Look at me. Like I'm I'm I've never been that kind of guy. So I just kind of gauged it. I kind of felt it out. Like at first I started like even with weddings, I started out with like rock bottom prices. And I was just one like for a while I was wondering why are people so like enthusiastic when I say how much I, I charge. Then I find out how much you can actually charge. I'm like, oh my lord, they've been undercharging these people for how for how many years? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just gradually tried increasing it and increasing it and seeing how many people would still buy it, and people still buy it. But of course, if they say, oh, our budget's only this much, and I, I'm I'm okay with dropping it down because again, for the amount of work I do, for the price I get, for the talent fee I get, it doesn't add. It's not even, man. Like I, I enjoy the job way more than I should be for two hours. <laughs> so I'm having fun, man. Like imagine you're having fun while working and you're getting paid X amount of uh, X amount of pesos, like a lot of pesos for just one night. Wouldn't you say like yes, even if you drop the price a bit? Like because I'd say yes. Like I'm enjoying myself, man. And this is something like this is basically passion with pay. So, and the thing is like. The only thing about it is it's volatile. You don't know, like weddings are, aren't going to happen every weekend. Otherwise, we'd have a, lo- a, a much, much larger population problem than we do now. But uh, it, uh, it happens often enough that I can sustain, well, I could, pre-pandemic, like an ex- a pretty exuberant traveling lifestyle. And with the near nightly gigs as well in like bars and clubs, it's sustainable. Like I saw that after several years, I saw that it's actually a very a pretty lucrative industry. And the thing is, mm-hmm. if people keep getting you, that means you're doing something right. And if people keep referring you and getting you, that means you can I'll charge a little bit more. So mm-hmm. those early gigs, the early non-paid ones, they're paid off, basically. And all the years I've been DJing, they've been they paid off. They they've already paid themselves off. Mm-hmm. So I just gave you know, like that. But you know what? This is how much I think I'm worth. Let's go with it. Mm. So, you know, that, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. To, like, you just, like, uh, but it, it's funny how you were able to snake in, like, this should suck more than it does, but it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Oh, my goodness. If you saw me during Peng's wedding, man, I was just like, I'm loving this. I'm doing this. I'm enjoying this. Well, Peng was one of the other guests on the podcast. He was the premiere episode. Oh, word. <laughs> awesome. Full circle. So, yeah, everyone yeah, knows I, <laughs> No, it was, it's funny because whenever whenever you're DJing, I always make it a habit to like walk up to you and request the song uh, Britney Spears Toxic. I don't know where that began. Yes. <laughs> I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it was just something that I started doing and then I found it funny. It's like, oh, Santi's here. Let's request Toxic again. <laughs> oh, there it is. I love that song. So, <laughs> Yeah, it fits in with the theme usually. So I never feel bad about requesting it. So, 
with regard your being a DJ now, like obviously this is your dream, right? You, you've spoken about it very fondly, but you began from this not, from not being particularly drawn to it. Like you you speak about yeah. having like a, an affinity to music. And so that in itself to me is very interesting. Like for you, what came first? Uh, the uh, the this level of satisfaction or the dream, like or or being a DJ fitting your dream, you know, like uh, or did you realize all along that being a DJ was your dream and you just weren't consciously aware of it? Like, what is what is your stance on that? That's the funny thing because um, I guess the satisfaction came first because I just like listening to music and I like mixing music. The whole idea of being a DJ to me actually was pretty um, intimidating because by all means, like I'm a, I was a pretty solid introvert. Like I'm, I'm not so, I'm not very sociable or at least I wasn't. Um, I didn't really talk to people much. I would shut, I would shut down after like a good 10, 15 minutes of con of nonstop conversation. And, uh, you know, being a DJ, like both radio and in clubs, You've got to be out there. You got to be outgoing. You got to be pushing yourself in front of an audience and interacting with people, all of which were nightmares for me. So it uh, it, it was just already the satisfaction of seeing, of hearing music, mixing music, and you know, seeing people react. But the whole idea of being a DJ itself that that was never the dream. It really never was. It just happened to fall into place after a while, and. You know, I, I guess I adapted as well to the to the culture, to the the personality type, to just everything around me. So even doing something like this, like doing a podcast, like 10 years ago, I would maybe not 10 years ago, maybe like, yeah, actually, no, 10 years ago, I would have been running out of words at this point. Like I would I would I would have had a hard time, like carry carrying on the conversation. But now it just comes so naturally. So I guess things just fell into place for me. Like. I can't even say like this was ever a dream of mine. Actually, my dream was just to be an artist. So it kind of falls into place there. But like an artist is like a drawing artist. You know, that's why I wanted to take I wanted to take architecture back in college. But my parents convinced me to take legal management. So that uh, degree obviously is sitting in a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Completely useless. <laughs> I think the diploma still rolled up. I haven't I haven't taken it out since graduation day. Yeah, you haven't even framed the the sucker, no? <laughs> oh, I haven't, man. Like I framed, like my grad pic is hanging on my wall, but my 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 diploma is nowhere to be found. And like in my oh wait, no, there it is. It's in front of me, but it's it's I just the canister is just there in front of me. It's been sitting on my desk for like one ten years. <laughs> you no, know, it was funny because I, I I realized also that when I had my diploma, uh, from my undergraduate years, like mm. I only framed it. When I framed the law school diploma, oh my <laughs> I'm like, I'm yeah. sorry, John Gokongwei. <laughs> Your parchment means this little to me. <laughs> oh my god, but no, but like, I'm so thankful for the diploma. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm happy that like, I graduated college and like from a great school. But like, still, it's, it's gigantic. My walls don't have space on them anymore. <laughs> like. Uh. If you look behind me on my video, it's it's filled with everything. So like, there's no space for a diploma back there. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Uh, so if if you were to meet someone now, though, like someone who like looks at you, and I, I I'm pretty sure you have this experience a lot with the younger talent, right? Uh, uh, you know, someone who 
really likes the lifestyle of being a DJ and they they want to get into it. Uh, like, how would you tell them to start? Like, maybe what 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 tools would they need? Um, whatever, whatever else you can think of that they might need to have to undertake that journey that you have undertaken. Hmm. First of all, expect less, because when you know it's it's happened time and time again. Like, I think this happens across the board in almost every industry. When you're young and you're starting out. You expect things to go fast. You expect to climb the corporate ladder or make a name for yourself immediately. It's or people to recognize you for all your efforts, all your talents. And it almost never happens like that. So even while starting out, like gigs were slow. Um, I'd wonder why people were like some people who were younger or newer to, than me to the industry were already jumping you know, in front of me and getting all these amazing venues, all these amazing festivals and whatnot. And it's really like, it's really, it, it, it kind of hurt for a while, you know, like, I'm like, you know, what am I doing out here? Why am I doing this? Then it all comes back to just me loving it. That's why I never quit. But eventually, you know, it worked out. But another thing just beyond expecting less is always be humble. Seriously, because the the fastest rises and falls of all the DJs I've seen out there, both on air and and in the clubs, are people who are arrogant. You know, they they come in being all con- well confident. There's nothing wrong with being confident, but like being all these uh, big shots who are feeling big shots who want to m- make a name in the industry immediately, but they're all like, you know, I can do this. Oh, that guy, that guy's not good. And like. Oh man, I can spin circles around. That's not the way to do it. It's, it's about being friends, being um, liked in the industry. It's about, you know, making those connections happen. Because otherwise, if you if if you draw bad blood with someone in both radio and the nightlife, that crap spreads fast. The rumors spread immediately. And the thing is, it becomes a he said, she said kind of deal. And the thing is, the industries are really small. So everyone hears about it in some capacity or another. So be humble, expect less. And uh, another piece of advice, don't lose your soul. Don't try to play music that's not you. Because it's going to be very obvious if you're not enjoying yourself. It's going to be obvious if your playlist is a mess. If you master your playlist. If you master your songs and you master your identity in your songs, then you'll know your place in the industry. Because, like, for example, like back when I was still starting out, I would play songs that uh, that were not my style, like trappy dubstep stuff, just because it was the in thing at the time. I tried it for a while just to make get noticed. And the thing is, I didn't like it. I felt like I was playing. I was playing from a playlist that I was completely alien to and I just didn't know how to move or groove to the music. And the thing is, when I listened to some of these mixes again, I'm like, yikes, these sound forced. But I listened to the other playlists I made during college, like, you know, for no one but me. And the ones I eventually distributed and people like, I'm like, I still like these. Until now, I get mm-hmm. feedback. Like, people are still like, you know, I really miss these songs. Man, this is so such a good mix. I'm like, oh, thank you. I made that ten years ago. <laughs> mm. But yeah, and, but again, mm. expect le- like expect less. 
be humble, don't lose your soul. I think it applies mm-hmm. to actually industry, but yeah. The the one of the things though that really kind of strikes me about it is that outside looking in, like it doesn't appear like there's a lot of thought that goes into it, right? But like the more the more times I actually catch myself at these parties where you happen to be spinning, and I hear the opinions of multiple different people, and they talk about how oh you know Santi has that sound, right? For someone outside looking in, like it's one of the most Uh, difficult things to capture and verbalize, like, but we know what Santi sounds like, right? And so we're we're always very uh, impressed that somehow you know, the, uh, something as simple as picking songs in an order, right? And yeah. you know, blending them together. That there is art, there is skill, there is ability to that, and uh, it's always it's it's always refreshing uh, when skill encounters skill of a different kind. Right, you you see like oh this is an entire constellation constellation of skills that I do not have, but because of how impressive the person in front of me wields it, right, I can walk away from that having felt enriched, right, and that's something that I always experience whenever I have the privilege of seeing you spin. Mm-hmm. Dang. Uh, <laughs> that's one way, man. I, that's I felt like I just gave a lecture, like a life changing lecture over there. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, well, welcome to your TED talk. Uh, uh no. <laughs> it's it's a But you know actually you brought up something pretty interesting that I wanted to touch upon, no? Cuz say you you talked about like uh drama and essentially that you know you don't step on anyone's toes in the industry. Uh yeah. what what is the industry like? What are the personalities like? No no naming names, but then like uh uh what are the politics? You know, the social Uh, interactions with people like, yeah. Well, it's pretty much the same in both radio and uh, uh, the nightlife. You know, age honestly doesn't really matter at like for most people. Like if you're there, welcome to the industry. Like there's some, there's I mean there's seniority of course. Like the the ones who've been doing it longer have priority for getting like the prime time spots or are the go to names for. Uh, these international or like provincial gigs or or club headlining headliners, but um, the industry mostly most of the people actually I've met in the industry they're very nice. I guess you know it, it comes with being humble. You know they're wonderful to be around with. They're they're very open about who they are, uh, and they just want to have a good time. They want to you know if if it's a nightlife they just want to party with you as well. And if they're a DJ, it's like, oh, how are you? Oh, how's the hard things? Even in in radio, it's like, hey, what's up? Oh, are you up next? Or 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 like, yo, what are you doing here? You're so you're so early. You're you're here so early to the station. Or even if you're from like a different uh, radio station, it's like, hey, look here, it's the magic man. I'm like, hey, you are the monster, dude. That's what <laughs> actually happened. Enrico wrote this one. But anyway, um, so it uh, it happens. Like even across like different. The clubs, different stations—it's all one industry. So we try as much as possible to get to know each other because there's so many different styles. Like especially for the nightlife, everyone has their own style, has their own sound, and it's nice to get to know other people also because you get to learn what their sounds and what their styles are, and like what they've learned also about the industry. So they're all very nice, all very willing to help, all very open. And believe me, like you 
you cast it out there on like for example facebook like um help i need uh repairs on one of my dj turntable okay one of my turntables right you're gonna get a lot of people saying oh check check this guy out oh man so sorry to hear about your turntable gonna 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 and people are just so open and willing to help the thing is though the politics are you try again try as much not uh, try as much as possible not to insult or not to like step on a senior dj's toes it goes both ways actually even in radio you, you don't do that because otherwise you're gonna end up getting uh fined or something or you're gonna end up getting a, a lot of flack from the rest of the people in, in the in, in the industry so i remember actually a couple years back uh this mm -hmm. one young dj was mm -hmm. really like looking up to one of the senior djs right he's like driving this guy to Baguio. He's uh, being with him every night at his uh, at the senior DJ's resident club, you know, essentially being the alalai for lack of better terms. But mm -hmm. the one rule, like, and in return, senior DJ gives the younger DJ a slot in the club because the senior DJ actually has some pull there. So this guy is basically the, the talk of the town because he also has a bit of attitude. So, like, people know him, but... He's up there. He's he's uh, on that roster. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. You, you do you. None of us have time to do that. So, but this guy, this younger DJ, goes around and starts dating the sister of the, I think, wife or girlfriend, I forget, of the senior DJ and goes around and cheats on her. So, of course, word gets back. <laughs> and there's a, there's just this massive fight. And the thing is, this resonates in the industry. Like everyone's like, "Ooh, that's not good." But since again, this guy has a bit of attitude, no one really talks to him. <laughs> so he's he's back. Um, he he's pretty much just on the back burner somewhere now. But again, word travels fast. Politics in the industry—it's always you know there are clicks. Also, there's like the the group of uh, like one group sticks to each other, and they always get each other for gigs. Another group sticks to themselves; they always get each other for gigs. But the thing is, there's also, oh gosh, there's a lot of drama. Like, I'm just, like, just pulling it back a bit, there's a lot of drama in the nightlife. Like, could be about a girl, could be about friendships, could be about finding out that uh, this one DJ is only sticking, saying he's your best friend because he just wants to get gigs from you. It's, uh, it's a whole mess. Thankfully, I've never been involved in any of that. You know, it's, it's a... Uh, it's uh, it's actually easy to stay out of the line of fire for drama. Just don't be a trash person. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the thing is, uh, you know, it's it's. I guess it just depends on your personality type. Also, you know, you, you've never like you know me. I'm not the kind of person who's going to go around cheating on women left and right. So yeah, I, so yeah, no, yeah. It, it's, it's, it was one of those things. Like uh, you know, that was always the thing that I really had a hard time reconciling when I when I got to know you as a friend. You know. Uh, you were always this really not no one straight lace, but you were a cool dude, you know. Mm. Like you, you generally kept it pretty zipped up. Yeah. And uh, whenever we would, you know, have beers and sit around table with other people and have fun, you would have fun, you know. Like that was and that was uh, a, a nice 
uh, duality that I saw in you because my impression of people who are in the entertainment field, uh, they generally cut loose a bit too much. They become caricatures. You know, yes. there's this there's there's this one Supreme Court case that we have to study in law school where literally the Supreme Court refers to a particular personality as a gay comedian and i'm like why like what was why does he why can't he just be a comedian why is he a gay comedian is there like unless they're trying to convey something by that so uh the fact that you really broke the mold on what i thought to be like the tip the stereotypical douchey a holy uh dj and you did it successfully was something that i was I i was pretty impressed by uh so uh now, if it's not too uh, what not too abrupt of a segue, and I think this is probably something that like the listeners will want to hear, uh, what is the life of a DJ like? You know, man. Like, uh, what are the perks? What are the what are the ups? What are the downs? You know, uh, give us give us the lowdown, like on on what that what that scene for you living it is like. Okay, I'm gonna start with the downs because like there are some. Like in my eyes, they're not as bad as like people sometimes think they think they are, but like, you know, sleeping hours. Because that's the first one. That's the first low point of being a DJ, especially in nightclubs. Your sleep your sleeping pattern is thrown off. Like completely thrown off. Because there are times when, you know, you know, like a nightclub operates all night. So it could be from nine to five, ten to six or whatever. So you're essentially nocturnal. And the thing is, when you're scheduled to play in clubs, it's not always going to be at the same time. Sometimes you're on the early, the early set, so that could be before midnight, prime time set, midnight-ish, one o'clock, or you're closing, which means you're going to be on at three in the morning all the way till the sun comes up. So your sleeping pattern changes almost every week because you don't know when you're uh, you're going to get that proper eight hours. And the thing is for me, because I have to juggle that with a day job in magic, there are times when I sleep for five hours, sometimes three, then I get really sick. So I, I, I've been, I've actually had a hard time with that over the past how many years. And, you know, just sometimes getting from one place to another is a nightmare because there are times when I've had to miss a gig because of traffic, you know, I'm (laughs) Dude, I'm not joking. It's it's ridiculous because imagine I'm just coming from Makati. I'm going to BGC. That's like what? If I bike that, that'd take like what? 20 minutes. But I had to go from Makati to BGC. I had no car at the time. It took me an hour to find a cab. Jesus. And by the time I finally found one, the guy was like, ah, there's no one there. And just zoomed, sped off. I'm like, I wanted to throw something at him, but like, that's not me. So uh, even getting from one place another you know it's you're even especially if you're doing like multiple gigs in one night or different uh gigs on different days it's taxing on the body because you're going to be driving a lot you're going to be spending a lot as well if you don't have a car on 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 grab or uber or all these other ride sharing uh services so that's that's just the downside plus there's also having to deal with really really pushy requesters both on radio and on, um, on like in the night, in at night, especially at night, because you know you got drinks involved already. You got people who are like, "Play my song. Where's my song? I want to hear my song." I'm like, "Dude, I told you five times I don't have your song. What? 
why don't you have it? It's like the best song ever. I'm like, okay, again, what is your song? Proceed to name a song in Russian. I'm like, Jesus, do you think I speak Russian? <laughs> I, don't have any vodka. I don't have any vodka with me. I, that, that's, I don't have your song. Like, what? But it's a, where's my song? Like, oh my God, please go away. So <laughs> the thing is to be there. You can't just be like, oh, nope, shield. Unlike on radio where I'm just like, if the person calls 15 times or something in a row, I'll just be like, okay, bye-bye, phone down. Here, um, you know, you have to be nice about it also because the thing is, it will affect the venue if you cause a scene, right? So if you cause a scene and the customer complains, you may not get booked anymore, which is a lot of lost income. So I always try to be nice, but some I've seen some people like reach their breaking point already. So I'm just like, damn, okay, I'm not that's not I'm not gonna do that. But uh what are the other downs of, of that? Like beyond just being sick a lot. That's that's what I that's the biggest problem I used to have actually. Ah diet. Lack of time for exercise, plus all these odd, odd hours of eating and drinking, they're not good for your diet. So you have to be super disciplined as well when you go if you go into the nightlife with your exercise and what you eat. Because I remember I have a friend who would insist that eating fish right before going to sleep was healthier than, well, it is. It's healthier than eating like God knows what, like fried food. But it doesn't change the point that you're eating right before sleeping. Your body's not going to digest any of those calories. It's just going to stay there overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning, I always wake up with high blood sugar. So I learned that the hard way. Also, that's the only time I've ever run past uh, 200 pounds. So not going back there. So those are the downsides. But at least for me, ah, one more thing. The politics, like you mentioned a while ago. There are times when, you know, because you're... You're in the industry, right? In any industry, you're there, you're working hard, but because some some other coworker of yours is going to brown nose or suck up to another more senior person in the industry, they're going to get ahead immediately. It's 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 rough, but it happens. It's got to learn to suck it up. Criticism comes with anything, so I'm not even going to mention that. That's it sucks sometimes, but you know they you get your people you get the critics to shut up when you play. So <laughs> that's, that's, it, it, that's sorry. what I do. Before you, yeah, no, before you jump to the positives, I just wanted to ask like something just to squeeze it in amongst the negatives. If if it is even if it even is a negative, that is right. Uh, is what about uh, the drug scene, man? Like you know, okay. sorry, DJs DJs have like uh, this. Uh, uh, let's say impression that they also double as drug dealers on the side. So, like, is that something that you've encountered, or? Fortunately, not yet. Um, no, because I'm clean, man. Like, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't do any of that stuff. The only drug I take is insulin. Beer, though. <laughs> oh, I love beer. But anyway, um, bad for my blood sugar. But like, still, <laughs> uh, I've encountered. I've okay. I've encountered a lot of drugs already in the nightlife. Although I'm, I'm not one to take them. Uh. It happens. It happens, especially for a lot of them who, who are a bit older. Like they need the, just the extra kick. But it's not as rampant as people think. Like a lot of DJs in are completely clean as well. So it's not. It doesn't. It's it's the stereotype. Yes, especially because like the early days of like DJing were filled. Like this DJing pretty much like 
it it grew to it. I think it rose to prominence like in the eighties or something. So hello, that's like cocaine, the decade of cocaine. So, um, of course, everyone's gonna get the impression that oh you oh you you oh you DJs you 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 listen to the house music and the dogs dogs and the rave with the lights on and just like it's drugs every night just to get that. No, it's not. Like I enjoy the music. Okay, shut up. <laughs> so, it's a. Uh, it happens. It happens. Um, but a lot of people I know just don't do that anymore because it's not good for the body either. God, like I've seen, I've like they've they begin to they begin to see already what it can do to your body, and they're just like, nah, this this is this ain't good. And a lot of the younger ones as well, they're just like, you know what? We'll stick to the weed. It's still illegal here, but you know what? Screw it. It's getting more and more legalized worldwide. So screw you. We're okay with this. We're not doing the hard stuff. We have our alcohol for that. <laughs> no, but you know, it's like uh, there was that one really pro. There was this one really memorable quote from Duterte where he was like saying, "Like, alam mo yung uh, dapat hindi ka magshashabo yung cocaine, yung marijuana. Okay yun, kasi pang mayaman yun." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Oh my god! <laughs> Did you say that? Oh, shut up! Don't do it was like three years ago or something, and I was just like, "Wait, bro, too much truth. Don't, don't give it up." Lord. <laughs> okay, you know, I never heard that, dude. Like, holy crap! Like, that makes a lot of sense, though. Damn, it mm. does. Like, because like I remember someone told me like, there. I was like, because I was curious. Like, it's all to me. It just all. It just all looks like powder. So I'm like, what the hell is the difference? Like, oh, crystal meth is uh, well done. It's uh. It's distilled. It's processed very well. Shabu is like the poor man's crystal meth. It's uh, shoddily made. Like, like what the, wait, really? There's diff. Like, what happens? Oh gosh! Like, I've learned a lot actually about uh, elite illicit substances in the nightlife because you know people would talk about them. I'd never see them using them. Some people just know about them. I'm like, this is very interesting. Like, I had no idea there was such a thing as synthetic. Uh, what was it? Synthetic weed causes hallucinations apparently. Like, I don't even know what offers. that is. Yeah. Dude, like it's I forgot what it's I forgot what it does, but it it messes with your brain, Telega. It's like it's like if you mix weed with LSD or something. I, I can't remember. But like there's some interesting ones out there that but I've just never tried any of them. So I'm just like, you know what, you guys do you. I've only have I've only ever had like one um one or two puffs of Mary Jane. And you got really hungry. So I'm like, you know, this ain't for me, man. It just makes me hungry. That's bad for my blood sugar. Mm. No, the only reason I ask it all is because I, I assume that there's like a racket of lawyers probably based out of uh, Makati who, you know, are in with the DJ scene and they're like, the, the you know, when, when it does become an issue, they're like, oh, yeah, go to this guy. <laughs> and then like they all have his calling card. It's like, oh, you use him too? <laughs> I guarantee you that's a thing. Oh, Lord. I'm pretty damn sure. Like, especially with like, um, with, you know, man, because like, like some of the other DJs, they, they earn like, they earn like, ABS even celebrities, man. They're probably they're bound to have lawyers. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so like, uh, yeah, go go. It, okay, okay, sorry. Uh, the uh, we've we've kind of been talking for a while about like the bad stuff and like all the yeah. ew stuff, uh, in 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 DJing. But what what is you know why why does someone do it? Why do you like it so much? If it you know if there's so much negatives to it. What's the good stuff? Dude, the positives outweigh the negatives by by a long shot. Like, not like just the, 
personally, just that feeling of euphoria in in having people enjoy their night because of you, that's already enough. But couple that with the in honest in all honesty, pretty high wages. Um the very minimum tax bracket, I think it's what eight is it it needs to be ten percent. I think it's eight percent now, which is ridiculously low. Plus the um you know it's all the gratitude people give you, especially with the um with they enjoyed your your set at like say their wedding at their event or even on a normal night out. They're like can like you'd have people come up, hey can you please some Beyonce please for me? I'm like okay. And then all of a sudden you see someone just going absolutely nuts and it looking like they're having the best night of their lives. It's something else. It's something I never expected to like to see. Cause like in in being a DJ, um you're you're both an entertainer and in the service industry, technically, because you're mm-hmm. serving your customers there, you're serving everyone, all the patrons, but at the same time, you're also entertaining them with what you're playing with the music and just that feeling of euphoria again when you hear the screams of several girls just going nuts, the, the roar of several guys just fist pumping because like that's that's what gets them going. It's like, yo, this is this is unreal. And you know, even even that aside, like you get free you get free drinks technically in in clubs because like they they give you a signing, so you can just enjoy yourself and have some drinks while you're there. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm good at this. And then even on radio, dude, the free stuff, the free stuff that comes with it, because you're in media, people know you, people listen to your show, and you know, friends of friends will recommend like, hey, why don't you reach out to this guy? Maybe he can uh, uh, help uh, promote your product. Like just the other day, I got, um, what is that? Like a mixer for some highballs. And all I have to do is like make a post about it, which I think I'm hoping it came via magic. <laughs> Plus, it's <there's a> <laughs> the also like when they're promoting stuff, like, I mean, this is why I have so many candles right now. I don't know what is up with the record labels and candles, but I'm not complaining. I love them. Plus, I just got a hydro flask yesterday, so I'm happy about that. So, uh, it's the free the free stuff also makes me happy. Call me materialistic, but it makes me happy. Mm. <laughs> Not mm. for, for like uh, a, a water canister. Hell yeah, give me that. So, mm. plus it's the the friends you make. Also, you know there are so many fantastic people out there I would have never met had I not become a radio DJ or a nightlife DJ. You know my my world has expanded and these are people who you know share like surprisingly a lot of them also share the same personality type as me like a lot of them were shy back in back in high school and college and it blossomed out in because of the industry and then you know because we're in the same industry you also have like the same kind of mindset the same interests and whatnot and it's it's great meeting these people because otherwise like my world would have been a lot smaller you know, like these people introduce you to more people and these other new people become friends as well. And in the nightlife industry, you know, people help each other out. Like as much as possible. Again, most of us really like avoid the drama. We don't like being assholes or or just being dicks to everyone because, oh, we're so much better than you. No, that never happens. I'll, like I've never heard of anyone doing that, even in radio. Like no one does that. Otherwise, they get booted off immediately. So the other, like, and plus just again, compliments from peers, you know, like 
it surprised me to like no ex- it still surprises me until now whenever i'm talking to someone i was like like uh when was this december like i think this was one of my my uh bar gigs in december i finished my set and uh a friend came over so uh, with some people i'm like oh okay cool so i'm just talking to them like you know getting to know like the people he brought over and then all of a sudden the guy was like i introduced myself i was like hi hey, mix i'm like okay cool and we're talking for like 30 minutes already and the guy is like hey man do you have an ig i'm like yeah why so i give it to him and he's like wait a minute what's your last name again Santelian. oh my goodness you're mig Santelian. oh my i've been t- i was like why are you freaking out <laughs> you've been talking to me for, <laughs> for like half an hour why are you free why are you freaking out why are you it's like, and he was like dude oh my goodness i listen to you all the time on magic oh shucks i love your mix it's like i don't know how to react to this i'm not very good at accepting compliments like out of the blue why <laughs> you gotta put this on your man oh my god so it was it, it's it's those kinds of moments that make this that make the like despite the drama despite the you know the the, the image the image that people associate with DJs and the nightlife or the the image that people associate with just people on the radio like oh you got a face for radio didn't you well screw you mister you're not here are you you're it's mm-hmm. it pays off because you know you it fills in your life with so many things you get to make a living you get to meet wonderful people. You get to be out there enjoying yourself, expressing yourself, and get paid for it. How many people can say that they work their passion with pay? I don't think a lot of people can say that. It's like you get lucky sometimes. Like you wanted to be a lawyer, you're a lawyer now, which is wonderful, which is great. You're getting paid to do something that you actually do enjoy. But I know a lot of people out there who've gone through four or five jobs because they're just not happy with any of the ones they settle on. Like they haven't found their calling. They haven't found their place. And I can, I can just only imagine what that might feel like if you've hit 30 and you still haven't found what you're looking for. That hurts. That sucks. And I just consider myself so blessed and lucky that I, I, like things fell into place for me. So everything about it, about just working with music in general, makes me happy. It fulfills my soul. It makes me feel like it's fulfilled what I'm here for. So mm. that's why even with all the all the snide comments and negativity, like the the in like the stereotypes associated with you know being a DJ, I'm still happy to say that I'm not listening because I'm enjoying myself. I'm getting paid for it, and I'm absolutely killing it out there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, there is this one little mental exercise that I really like doing with myself whenever I see someone in like this uh, niche profession, let's say. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I have this experience of being a lawyer and people dropping their guard around me. You know what I mean? Because people use it as like intellectual shorthand for like, oh, I can let my guard down around this person because he's like someone who who's he's a fixer. He fixes my problems, right? Yeah. If I have a problem with the BAR, if I have a problem with the court, if I have a problem with whatever government agency, he'll fix he'll fix it for me. And yeah. so like they don't they generally let their guard down. And so like say for example, I I thought that that was an experience that was unique to lawyers, right? And then I find out my friend who's a doctor has a similar experience. Like people are blabbier around him. 
and then and then I found another person. He's a pilot, but he he charters airplanes, which means he flies airplanes for groups of people under nine, right? And like there's something about that role where people are just chattier with him, you know? And it's 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 fine, you know, whenever people, you know, feel close to you. But the surrealness of the experience comes when the person in front of you is someone that you viewed as much higher than yourself. So uh, I'll give an example. Sometimes in my in my practice, I have someone who comes in and they're a politician, you know, and out of nowhere, you know, I'm invited to lunch. I'm, uh, you know, like, hey, do you want to go to the firing range or something? Or, hey, uh, you know, like. They they want to get to know me better because you know I am this I have this role right and it's something that's unique and it's something magical about being a lawyer, right? Uh, it, does DJing do that also? Like, it, does it does it create connections you might otherwise not have seen or might otherwise not have had? I'd say yeah because it's happened also so many times where the DJs I used to look up to like I had back like back in college like you attend these massive parties like um. What's that one? What's that one from UP? Um, Ajma? Sorry, not yeah. Ajma. Um, Chucks. I can't remember the thing. Ad hoc. There we go. I yeah. would see like these amazing DJs performing on the big stage, and I, I, I just idolize them so much because some guy would be mixing with music videos, another guy would be playing all the songs that really made the crowd work. And then I'm just like, wow, these. I, man, I could. I only wish I could talk to these people. And nowadays, like everyone I I had seen in a, in a ad hoc, like on stage, I actually know personally now. And it's funny because, you know, I have this one of them um, was telling me like, yo, man, like, I don't know how you do it, like how your brain works. I really want to pick it because you have this weird control of the crowd that I could only wish for. I'm like. Are you serious? You had me captivated when you were playing at that party like eight years ago. What are you talking about? It's bizarre. It's uh, and plus even in um, same thing for radio actually because you know, oh another perk by the way of radio is you get to meet celebrities and interview them. <laughs> so it's funny because uh, same thing like, you know you you're sitting there. I'm sitting in my like especially nowadays. I'm sitting at my desk. Um. Of course, no face-to-face contact yet because, duh. But, uh, like, every so often, I'll just get a message, like, uh, from, let's say, my boss saying, Sans, want uh, needs to uh, talk to you about something. Uh, it's okay if I give you a number? Yeah, sure. It turns out it's like, it's going it, to, sometimes it's a label rep only, but there are times also when I get messages from singers, artists themselves being like, Hey man, I just want to reach out because like I'm a big fan of Magic. I heard you're the dire- music director now. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my god, I'm a big. F- I'm actually a fan of this person, and <laughs> I get, to ch- get to talk to them. It's like I listened to your music growing up. What the hell? You're Gary Valenciano, and I'm talking to you. Wait, or or like <laughs> uh, like Jacques, like I've like you know me, man. I like I like my old so- like my older songs. So like when someone like let's say five seconds of summer comes over, I'm like. Wow, you're already tall, but yeah, you do you. It's it's cool. Like you do your interview, and I'm I'm good. But when someone like let's say um, who's this? Uh, Jocelyn Enriquez. She's like this uh, Phil M singer from the '90s. Like she came over unannounced, and we're just like, the hell? <laughs> you're 
Wait, one, you're in the Philippines? Wait, and two, you're here? I got I got to talk to her and I was like, wow. I never in a million years imagined I'd be talking to one of the uh, biggest Philam singers in the world. Same thing went for Sybil. Same thing went for Gary Valenciano. I was like, what is happening? And it's funny to see who they are behind the music because you get to see the person, not just the voice, but to get the, the person themselves. And you get, you get to talk to them. You get to see what they're like. And honestly, like, the ones I've met have all been absolutely fantastic people. Like, they may not be the biggest stars anymore, but they they still have the voice. They still have what it takes. But it's just that, you know, they've gotten older. They've fallen out of um, radars. But they're just so humble about the careers. They're like, like I remember, um, I was talking to uh, her, this woman. Her name is Sybil. She had a massive hit here in, uh, in, the, in the early 90s. And until now, like, people who grew up in the 90s, they're like, oh, my goodness, this song. It's called Make It Easy On Me. Um, she was telling me, like, you know, she she started off like very like just you know like any other young impressionable artist making house soul records and whatnot and eventually like she just got well she got she just didn't chart as much anymore but you know she said she wasn't gonna let that ruin her she went on to become like a a a professor in a university teaching music and musical theory uh and then you know because she felt it was like the next step you know spread the love spread, the joy spread, the passion to people who could also hone their talents in that in that way. But you know, but until now, she's still mind blown every time she starts singing, and everyone in the audience starts singing along with her. It's like, wow, I've been doing this for thirty years, and yet people still know the song. And they still, it's still amazing every single time. That's just, that's what she said. So, you know, it's it's great to see like these people getting more and more comfy and open and chatting with you because, you know, like they, I guess there's a sense of trust also, like when you're just in similar industries, mm-hmm. and you know when compliments are due, they're just due. And like you know, like a lot of especially for the nightlife, a lot of people are extroverts. They'll just say what they want to say. And mm-hmm. especially if it's nice, they won't hesitate to say it. Let's be like, how did you do that? Or where'd you get that remix? Like, okay, ka. I see what you did there. Like, they won't, like, people won't, uh, in the crowd, like, of course, people are going to be drunk or enjoying, like, they don't care about the, the nuances of the mix anymore. So it's hard to do in clubs. It's hard to do this in clubs, by the way, because the music's so loud. But, like, I've had several times where I do something, I do a mix, and next thing I know, like the DJ who's either before or after me, if they're still there, they're like, "Okay, ka, how'd you do that? Or did you, did you do that on purpose? Did you really blend those two words from two different songs together?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's good that uh, you know they they can see that in you. Like the thing that uh, a casual listener can only barely perceive, someone who's in the same field uh, can understand. Like, oh, that's why it was able to get. That's the hook. That's the reason why they were able, really able to uh, get the crowd excited. No. Yeah. So it, it's it's 
you brought up Sybil moving on to something else, but still being wildly famous for something she had done previously. Uh, as to that point, like, how do you see yourself? So, you know, you've, you've kind of, you know, you're the music director for Magic 89.9, right? So, like, what is the next step for you? Like, you want to get a more formal education in music abroad, maybe? Or you want to just keep going, see what new heights you can hit here in the Philippines? What What is the next step? Well, new heights in the Philippines, for sure. Because there's still so many venues, so many weddings, so many uh, people who I have not played for. And, you know, there's still... Like seeing who is in the industry, who's still in the industry now. There's a very, there's a long road for this industry. Like, I know some DJs who are in their like, who are just hitting 50 now, and they're still playing like, house and the uh, EDM music, and they're still rocking the clubs. But of course, Magic. Like, I mean, I guess the next step is program director, then station manager. But like, we'll we'll see where that goes first. Because honestly, like the music director thing has kind of dropped on me out of nowhere. Because I, there was no like, oh, we got some great, some big news for you. Huh? Or there was no lead up to it. It just happened like, uh, Sans, we need to talk. I'm like, um, oh, shucks. Am I getting retrenched? It's a pandemic. <laughs> it happened about a year ago. Okay. So like, I had no idea what was going to happen. So I was like, crap, 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 crap. Sans, um, are you open to a new position? Like, me? <laughs> Why? What do you mean? You know, we uh, need a music director now because the this, that, this, that. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm yelling and screaming already. I'm freaking out. But I'm like, okay, what does that entail? I try to keep calm. Like, that's just really how I react to these things. But like, <laughs> um, but yeah, next step would be to see where else I can play, where else, what else I can charge. And <laughs> other venues can have me. Because from... Everything I've seen, when you're in your 30s, that's the prime for for DJs, you know? Like, in your 20s, you're starting out, and you're climbing up the ladder and making names for yourself. And the older ones, of course, you're still going to hang on to, like, what they've got. So even in your, in your late 20s, you're going to have good gigs. You're going to have uh, great venues. But once you hit your 30s, it's more established, I'd say, for a lot of people. Because you've been in the industry, a lot, like, long enough. Your peers have grown up with you, and they've also got a bit more power now. Um, but also beyond that, investments. Invest in the business, invest in a restaurant, invest in something that can make you money passively because, again, a lot of people don't have what I have, a day job and a night job. So mm. if they only have a night job and they don't happen to get the gigs that they need, they're in trouble. And, you know, it's like my magic is really just job security for me. Mm-hmm. So it just happens to be something that also I also love to work in. So more music. So that's that's mm-hmm. just a bit of happiness for me. But investments is the future also for me. You know, just try to like invest in more businesses, maybe stocks. We'll see how the market plays out. And mm-hmm. yeah, just something to make more passive income because at least while you're sleeping, you're still making money. Uh, there's this one really good investment product that I, I I every month like I always invest in it. So I just I just buy the same one. I don't think about it too hard. Sorry, what? Are you gonna tell me? Are you open-minded? Oh no, no. I I already I already have you. You know. Uh, 
I I don't need to invite you out for coffee kasi nag-usap naman tayo. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, uh, for the listeners who thankfully have not had this experience, Santi is making reference to multi-level marketing. And that yep. is... Uh, It's like it's a uh, what, what, how, how do they say it? What's the what's the that's the standard phrase? They go open-minded kaba. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Open-minded kaba. I hate that. Always, I had five. Damn it! <laughs> like between graduate between like uh, our last semester and uh, I think 2014, I had five, and I was like, stop it! Why people stop giving out my number? Uh, no, it's 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 one of those things that you have to deal with. But uh, like actually, me as a lawyer, I really advise people as to investment. So like, uh, I I have the I'm fortunate in that people come to me to ask me about like kung saan ba dapat nila ilagay yung pera nila, uh, and you know I can steer them away because there's like these scams in the province, major prevalent. They're called kapa organico. Yung they convince you that you're buying like a pig, then the pig. You own the piglets, and then like the farm will take care of it for you. That's yun palaponzi scheme lang palayon. Oh my And then, okay. like a few months later, walana yung pera. So like I advise them, I point them in the direction of like certain investments, just simple ones, because I'm not authorized to give advice on investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I limit myself there. But there is one investment that I typically recommend to people in their twenties. It's called First Metro Exchange Traded Fund. So it's a diversified basket of funds that spans the largest corporations in the Philippines. Your SM Prime Holdings, your Robinsons Land, your Ayala Land, your Ayala Corp. Uh, Manila Water, I believe, is also there. Uh, all the largest corporations in the Philippines, they're, they're in that basket of funds. And so I highly encourage you to consider it if you're looking for a place to park your money. Now, on that very boring and very responsible note uh i'd like to take the opportunity uh to thank you santi for coming on to my podcast of course yeah yeah it was it was really it was really nice to hear everything about like uh, this life of being a dj which outside looking in is terribly inaccessible especially for someone who does not have any musical talent like me <laughs> so yeah with that thank you santi good night good night